if you could build a business in the modern world as big or as small as you want without having to compromise the things that were the most important to you in the very beginning? This is the Wealthy Consultant Talks podcast with Taylor Welch and Mike Walker, as they share with you today their learning lessons from stories in their experiences over the past 10 to 15 years and share with you right here, right now. Let's get into it. All right. What's up, crew? Hey, I'm here with, with Bijel, who is, I don't know if you named yourself this or if I named you this, the queen of branding. Um, she has promised to make me cry. We'll see about that. I just pulled plunges. It's very hard to make me cry. And uh, we're going to be talking about the recent experiences of the last 14 months. I thought we could open it up um, with a brief overview of the press release that I wrote, if that's a good place for you to start, and then I'll let you take it over. Or you can cut me off and take me over now. Are you Are you okay if we go through the press release first? I just... I think we should go through the press release. I think that's exactly what I wanted you to do. So it's perfect. <laughs> you, you controlled it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so you might've read this before. If not, I'm going to read it to you now and we'll have a little bit of loose context put into this. Um, and then any questions that you do have, please throw them into the chat. We'd love to answer them. Um, and just kind of share learning lessons and a little bit about behind the scenes. So it starts off. I'm, Telling people about the first company that I built, Traffic and Funnels, was actually my first company ever. We started in September of 2015. And Traffic and Funnels, it turned into a bit of a portfolio. We sold sales training, advertising training, marketing training, mindset training. We would go into businesses and we would help them grow. Um, and it became really big. It became a big deal. Um, I remember when it happened because I was like, oh my goodness, there are people moving to Nashville to like work for me. And that's weird. I was like, I'm not ready for that. Well, that seems odd. So we went from a freelancer to a business owner and had to learn everything in between. Um, and I, I talk about, you know, there are things that you can learn from books. I love to read. All of us do. But then there are some things that you can only learn from, like, being on the edge of a cliff about to fall off. And, um, you know, it supercharges you. And so I ran at this pace for years and years and years. And in 2022, it was the early parts of, 2022, I started talking to my wife and kind of just asking close friends, I think I want to do something different. I'm tired of the pace. It's so fast. It's crazy. And in the second quarter of 2022, uh, we sourced new leadership and installed new leadership. Uh, it was a brilliant guy, one of the best marketers around, and he had a lot of proximity or familiarity with our company from years ago. Um, and he came back in and, and was charged to solve some of the problems with the brands. The problem was I gave them three months to remove me completely from the whole brand, which Bijou, you know, is not enough time. Like it's, um, we needed like a year to two to, to fix concentration risk issues. And so I think, like, I think to make it clear for that size of company too, like it's, yeah. this wasn't like a six month startup deal. Like it had a lot of infrastructure and a lot of people that were involved. Hundreds of staff. Um, dozens and dozens of products, and most of them sort of you know revolved around me as a as a producer of those products. Um, so you're absolutely correct. So any anyways, what I learned through this is that you know when a when a sizable chunk of an organization is built off the back of a personality, you have a lot of long tail risk because things can stop working. You don't exactly know why, um, and then you track it back. It's like well, this person was putting energy to it. Now they're not, and so it's kind of not working anymore. So I got a call in September 
about shutting the brands down and reallocating some staff. And that was a weird moment for me because I was like, well, I was comfortable walking away from the business, but shutting it down, I had to process through that. It was like a baby. Like, oh, this is something that I started and built. And, you know, I was a little sad about that. But at the end of the day, I was, I was just like, let's, I'm going to support you guys. I'm a minority stakeholder here. I'm going to support you and whatever. And so they started winding them down at the end of September 2022. In October, I got a call that uh, there was a letter that was sent to the old offices from the Federal Trade Commission. The Federal uh, was going through a large uh, operation essentially to crack down on, on companies with earnings claims, which is earnings claim is like you can make XYZ amount of money. The FTC was going after a lot of companies making earnings claims that they felt was not truthful. And we were swept up in those efforts. And at the time and now, um, you know, we disagreed with the FTC. We felt we had proof to support us. Of course, nobody goes about, I can't even, I, I would like to say nobody goes about marketing things that are objectively false. But I learned in dealing and cooperating with the FTC that that's not true. Many companies knowingly disseminate advertising that they know is false, made up testimonials, made up stories. But at the time I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I didn't even know that you could do that. Like, I didn't know you could, like, why would I put something on the internet that, that wasn't true? Um, and so I learned so much through the process of like, well, we had to sort of substantiate what we were doing and we couldn't solve down the, we couldn't dissolve the companies. We couldn't turn anything off because the FTC basically came in and said, you have to keep everything open. Um, and so we're done with this. So I basically had to hire a, a team to go find hundreds of pieces of substantiation and what amounted to like call recordings, and like crazy stuff. We had to prove every piece of advertisement we run. And at the, the moment, the companies usual were doing zero dollars. Like these were shut down. You were, you know, you were part of the, the newer brands. And I never even talked about it. I was like, the old companies are old. Like I'm not, I'm not doing anything with them anymore. All of the staff had been laid off. And so I'll spare you all of the details, but long story short, um, we had to cooperate. We wanted to cooperate. And I learned through the process that, that the FTC has a very important job to do. And there are a lot of people out there that are, that are actually, they need to be investigated. They need to be looked at. Like they're doing things that are wrong and uh, not truthful. And uh, the FTC is very, very, very thorough uh, and good at their job. And we ended up settling. And the reason that we settled is because it was expensive. It was lengthy. It was distracting. And important points to note is that the FTC investigation focused on old companies. The FTC was going after companies who were making earnings claims. We disagree with the way we were characterized in the press release. I didn't even read the press release. I read half of it. And I was like, this is, this is silly. Um, and there were no findings of guilt. There were no findings of wrongdoing. It didn't reference even one complaint from an old customer, an old client. It was, it was literally a way for us to put the matter behind us, but there are lessons that I learned and there are things that I would have done differently knowing what I know now. And this is not me saying like everything was done perfectly. This is me saying like there was no finding of wrongdoing, but in the middle of that, there are a lot of lessons and I'm grateful that this happened when we were small uh, so we can prevent it when we're big. Okay, that's the press release. Here we are, long mouthful. It's 12.05 Central Standard Time. <laughs> Back to Beagle. I had to get that out of the way as an opener. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Okay. 
Okay, awesome. I think the interview is done. Taylor covered everything. Um, thanks for joining, guys. No, <laughs> adios. We gotta give we we gotta give Taylor a moment here. All right. So okay, that was the that was the intro to start. Let me let me just preface this because I would love for you guys to engage in the comments. Um, this is really meant to be a tell all. Um, so really is meant for you guys um, and myself. Like I've got my preset set of questions that I'm going to ask. But this is really an opportunity for you to be able to ask anything you want during this. I did not give Taylor the questions in advance. Nope. He did try to get them. He asked me to not make him cry. I said, no promises. And I cold plunged this morning with affirmations. So good luck. Hope you did yours. Well, <laughs> so we're, we're here. I know he's leaving. <laughs> Just got to keep him on the call. Uh, so we're here to learn from this situation. And I've always found Taylor to be honest, especially when it has to do with preventing other people from making mistakes. He didn't pay me to say this, by the way, just letting you know, I'm not paid for this interview, though I should be, all of those things. So this illegal. is an opportunity for you to think through, <laughs> hashtag illegal. This is going great, by the way. Uh, don't come after me, FTC. I'm, I'm just a brown woman trying to make it here. Um, <laughs> cheers, cheers. Okay, so think of your questions, drop them in the chat, um, and I'm going to go through a variety of things. We're going to go through backstory of kind of where things are. I'm going to break it up into little tidbits. Um, I've had the benefit of hearing some of this stuff as it happened, and I watched Taylor team go through it. And so I've gotten some understanding and learning about, oh my God, this is what it could have been like. This is what it felt like. I have some personal experience with this, which I'm not going to go into for this interview, um, and so I think what we really want from people, why Taylor agreed to do this, is this is a real big shift that's happening in the telemarketing space. Um, by the way, the FTC has brand online coaching and consulting and things like that as telemarketing. telemarketing. So this is a big, big deal. And so this is really going to be a learning lesson, education. We're obviously going to have some fun because uh, what's the point of doing this if we're not going to have a little fun? So, all right, Taylor, are you ready to go? Let's go. Okay, cool. Okay, so some of these questions are going to be short. Some of them are going to be long. I might jump in on you uh, here and there when I want you to add some detail or when we want to move on to the next point. Um, okay, so give us a time frame. How long was a sales mentor actually in business? And then how long did this investigation actually last? Yeah, so the, the brand started in 2018. It was July. Um, the reason that it started is I had a salesperson who worked for me way back when, and he ended up kind of burning out and quitting. And I was like, you know, I think I could prevent this. I can teach our sales reps how to take care of themselves. And so we launched it as a newsletter. It was a newsletter. It came in a little box. Um, we launched it, I think on July 4th uh, weekend, 2018. And it was really small for the first year. It was like 30, 30 K a month. I think, I think that was what it was. I'm not a hundred percent. Like I don't have a database of this in it. So I, I think it was there. And then in somewhere ar around the fall or like late summer, fall of 2019, the marketing team took over the brand and the marketing team was like the scale team. It pivoted a little bit. It changed away from a newsletter in a box and it moved to like an info style course product. Then it started scaling and it scaled really fast and it scaled in the middle of COVID, post COVID. Um, and it switched from being a training for our internal team 
So really being a way for us to train and hire new sales reps because sales reps are really hard to find. So we're like, well, if we train them, then we can just hire them. You know, it was like a, a, a an yep. in, integrated, like it, vertical. And so it was summer of 2018 to September of 2022. Um, and okay. that's so about four years, about four years ish. It was big from the fall of 2019 to, I would say the, um, winter of 2021, because when we got, there was an initial letter from the commission that was sent to the old offices mm. in 2021, which is the winter, like October and November. And, um, that the team freaked out and turned everything off, rebuilt a bunch of advertising. Didn't really know like what to do because compliance is not like a, here's a, here's a tutorial. Yeah. So they, they just rebuilt a bunch of new advertising. We're shooting in the dark trying to figure out what was, what was allowed and what wasn't. So it was 2018 to 2021, the end of 2021 it was officially went through dissolution processes in 2022, but we paused it. We stopped it because of the investigation that happened in October. Okay. Okay. So the business was there for about four years. And so when you say it scaled really fast, Oops. can you one, explain what did those numbers look like for us mere mortals? And two, why did it scale really fast? Can you say that one more time? Because my internet cut out at the very beginning of that question. Okay. Why, what was, what's, what does scaling actually look like? What do the numbers look like for us, you know, mortals? What does scaling really fast look like numbers wise? And number two, what caused it to scale so fast? Yeah, yeah. Um, it went maybe from like 30K a month to 300K a month in maybe four months. And then from 300K a month to a million a month, maybe another four months after that. Um, so we're talking like 10X in 10 months-ish. What caused that? The offer was- How did that happen? Yeah, the offer was changed a little bit. Um, it went from just a sales training, like a monthly sales training to training people how to become sales reps, which changed the market. Because um, you, have, you have these, you have these uh, audience clusters that if you're, if you're publishing an offer, you're selling something, you, you can have a big, really wide TAM, which is the total addressable market. You can have mm -hmm. a narrow TAM that's very sophisticated and niche. And we, the team basically mm -hmm. removed a lot of the niche parameters on it and made the TAM really big. So it went from like, Hey, if you're a sales professional and want trained to like, if you want to be a sales professional and that, you know, 50 X the total, total addressable market. And then the marketing also was, when we when I go back and I review the marketing, it was way too aggressive, and I don't think any of us understood mm -hmm. like the real rules around like what you can and can't say. And I won't bring up the the yeah. copywriter who wrote that or any of that. This is all in the past, but the yeah. marketing was was so aggressive that it that it scaled in part due to how aggressive it was. That doesn't mean that it was ineffective. You know, it doesn't mean that it, the product did not perform. Like we, I think the the brands returned in, in refunds over eight figures in refunds. So, yeah. you know, scams don't typically do that. They tend to just keep the money. So like the, the businesses were legitimate. However, the, the marketing process, like for actually looking, should this claim be in here? Should it not? We didn't really have those systems, those processes. Yeah, that makes sense. So about four years was the business. How long was the investigation? Just give me a month and year to the month and year where this ended. So we have a, a time period of seven. October of 2022 to last week. So December 
Okay, so close to uh, 14. 13 months. Yeah, 13, 14, 14 months. months. Yeah. Okay. That's incredible. A really long what, time. So what did you what did you do during this investigation? And then how did you build the wealthy consultant in parallel while this was happening? So the wealthy consultant started getting built in like May, June of 2022. Um, and I remember like when, when I was like, I was on a walk because I, I sort of thought like my life was, was maybe over or something. Cause I was giving away my companies and I was, I just didn't have anything. My identity was not built around normal stuff. It was built around like what I had built. And so it was like a grieving season for me. It was like, what do I really love to do? I was like, I love people. I don't, I'm not an extrovert, but I love being on calls with people and helping people solve real problems. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll just do that and see what happens. And so the wealthy consultant started like sort of on the side and it just started growing. And so by the time we got to September, I was like, hell yeah, we're going to, we're going to scale this thing to the moon, you know, like we're going to take over everything. And when mm -hmm. it hit in October, honestly, it took like maybe a week for it to really hit me because at first I was convinced that it was a mistake, like totally convinced. Um, I got the text. I was at a cigar bar called the mission in Spring Hill, Tennessee. It's like 20 minutes South of where I live. I got the text. I was like, this is a mistake. They have the wrong address or something. Nope. It's got your companies on it. Well, I didn't receive one. So it must just be you guys. Like I'm, I was going through all of this stuff. And the reason that I didn't get one is because they couldn't find my house. And you know, when they found my house, I got seven of them and I was like, oh my God, like this is a real thing. And you can see it. Like I was just teaching this morning on, um, arena about like tracking HRV and heart rate. My HRV just went to like the twenties and for like six months, it stayed there where there was so much stress and so much anxiety. Um, I don't know, like I'm remembering it for the first time. So if that's okay. Um, but like, yeah, I was like, I, I might have to get a job if, if I'm banned from being an entrepreneur, you know, like if I can't somehow like prove that I was legitimate, then I might have to find a job because, you know, you never know, like, this is the government. Like I have to do what they tell me to do. Like, I'm not going to become a, a revolutionary. Like I'm going to do what they tell me to do. I don't know how, I think the team just stepped up and kept things together. And I think you sort of knew visual like at that time. Um, but yeah, nobody knew. So I was like, the only, the only secret I have is to show up and keep teaching and keep producing and just keep showing up. If I don't show up, I'm pretty sure I'm going to just, just die. You know, I think that you just, your segue is so perfect. I think one of the hardest things and the most admirable things, watch out. I'm going to give you a compliment here. I need to brace I'm yourself. Leave, come back later. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go back to standard after this. Don't worry. But, uh, what, yeah, to watch you going through this privately and then publicly showing up reincarnated because like, remember guys, he'd given away the whole portfolio of businesses before this happened by six months. And so I think we thought the hard part was done and still talking about old partners and old team and mistakes that were made. 
And this was TWC, the wealthy consultant was like a rebirth and a reinvention. And you were going through all of that massive, you know, reinvention and loss. And then this happens and to watch you to continue to forge forward into a new business with new vision, providing like beyond excellent training, compiling a team together who had been battered and bruised through the first set and watching you lead them. I think that's where the shift happened where I'm like, Oh my God, like not only is this a program I'm in, I'm getting a a behind the scenes of like what life actually looks like. And I think a lot of people at that time just felt like, Oh, he must, this must be nice. Everything is going well for him. And they couldn't imagine you the way that you are right now. And so that leads me to this question is that, you know, is, did you ever want to give up? Did you ever want to quit? Like, how did you handle and build your mindset to get through something that most of us can't even imagine? Even I can't imagine it. And I heard some of it as you went through it, a lot of it as you went through it. Yeah. Um, no, I definitely wanted to give up. And to to add some color and context, which will both support my answer to this and talk more about what you were saying prior is now it's very easy to look back. Like, I think that I don't know this for sure. Like the, the FTC staffers were professional and respectful and they never got into like weird stuff. Like they were, they were just, they were appropriately respectful. But I do think that part of what maybe caused a bit of the, I don't want to say triggered the investigation, but it may have caused some of the speed with which it happened is I think that nobody, um, when, when I was like, we're bringing in a new CEO and I'm giving things away. I think people in hindsight are like, well, You did that because it wasn't working. That's not true. Um, In fact, like I tried to buy out ownership of those companies twice. Like I wanted, I wanted those companies. Um, (laughs) They were my companies. I was like, I'm going to build these. These are, um, these are my brands. And so when people are like, oh, well, it was, it was too coincidental. Like you're damn right. It was very coincidental. And that shocked me just like it shocked everyone else. And when I finally went through that process of sort of mourning, like, let's be honest, like, that's what it was. It was me like mourning and kind of grieving. I remember like Lindsay came in one time in my office. This was the end of May. Sorry, I'm, and I'm answering this question by going the long scenic route. Um, but she was like, you're allowed that. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> you're allowed that. Go ahead. She came into my home office and she was like, I was listening to some music and she was like, are you okay? And I was looking through memories on uh, day one, just on my iPad. And it was me and Chris, like at the beginning events, like we had our first event here in Franklin and it was like 30 people. And we're like, yo, we're rich. We're the best in the world. Like 30 people came to see us and we're just babies. <laughs> and I'm looking through this. I'm like, Lindsay, did you know, like most businesses don't even last a year? Like NTF lasted seven years. It's amazing. And yeah. I was thinking that I was like sort of talking myself out of it. And she was just like, are you sad? And I just broke down and it was like cried. It was like, I didn't realize, I didn't even realize I was sad. I was like, I don't know how to process emotion. Um, But for the first time, yeah, I'm like, oh, this is what sadness feels like. Yes, I'm sad. Thank you for labeling it for me. And so to go through that and and grieving that, and then less than six months later, I can't move on. Like I have to go back into the same companies with the same people with in all of that emotion undone like all of the 
processes to grieve it, I sort of had to go back through it. And that was when I was, honestly, it became a little bit of a nightmare for me. And that's when I think it actually became traumatic is when I couldn't get away from it. And you answer, you asked the question, did I want to quit? Yeah. Like I wanted to sell everything and move to a barn in the middle of, of the woods. Uh, I wanted to disappear. Yeah. Like nothing felt safe about posting anything, nothing at all. Like it, it felt very vulnerable for me to even be um, on the internet. But what I noticed is that when I would do good things for people, I felt better. So like when I would show up and speak and people would be, they would benefit from it. I felt better. And that gave me a little bit of a lifeline. So it's like, I just have to keep doing this to slowly make my way through it. Um, and you know, there's, there's even seasons inside of the investigation where, where it ended then it's not ended. It ended, then it didn't end. And it's like back and forth and back and forth. And the whole time, the whole way through, yeah, I'm like, you know, this isn't worth it. Um, but I didn't have a choice. I had to survive. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it was so good. It was so good. And I think there's so much to unpack there and we are going to get to some of the, the tactical stuff. Um, but let's sit here for a minute, because I think this is the stuff that I think that a lot of people don't get to see, because I think most people who go through this go and hide. They haven't told their stories. They're not willing to tell their stories. It's all very high level. Oh, this is what happens. This is what got paid out. This is what we're doing now. It's all very tactical and strategy based. And none of it is the emotions. And I think you would agree. It's the mindset and emotions that takes people out of this game. Yep. hundred percent. So I'm going to go deep here for a second. All right. Okay. Um, but I, I haven't been able to ask you this. So I'm going to ask you here live. Um, so you talked about Chris and, and the high moments, and I got to see a lot of that, you know, as being a former, uh, TNF client. And, uh, I don't, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever told you when you guys finally ended it, I actually like cried over, I like literally cried over TNF being done because that was my like safe space. And that was where I kind of grew up as an entrepreneur and I felt really stuck between two people and I didn't, I didn't really know what to do or where to go. And, um, <clears throat> there was so much emotion behind it because so much of my friend circle and entrepreneur circle had grown through that. Yeah. And to watch something like that end, there was actually a lot more emotion tied to it than I thought. Um, and when I was, was thinking about that and then when this all unfolded, I like to hear from your perspective, and I'm sure the audience wants to know too, how do you feel about Chris's part in the investigation? Obviously, he wasn't cited the same fee you were, even though you guys were 50-50. Um, and he's remained largely quiet outside of like one post about what's even happened here. So um, walk us through how you felt about about all of this. You know, me and Chris are totally different, obviously different people with different experiences and different different vision you know like when i when i met chris in like 2015 he was like a like a veteran war-torn advertising person um and he had the respect of the market and he had great relationships and you know i was like i can't believe that this guy is like wanting to talk to me you know i was a baby um i had been an entrepreneur for all of three months four months um, and I was like, you know, I had this crazy idea. I was like, we should partner. Maybe we should partner. Cause like everyone respects you. Nobody knows who I am, but like, I'll do the work, you know, like I'm, I'm a hustler. I hate being poor and I'll, I'll work. And he was like, no, there's, 
you don't partner on the first call. He's like, what if you steal all my money? It was weird. I don't know. He was, I was like, okay, for you to forget that. Like you do you, man, like have fun. Um, and then like four or five months later, he's like, dude, we should partner. I was like, nah, I'm good. You know, I don't really want to partner anymore. Cause you gave me four months of building on my own. And now I'm, now I'm lapping everyone. So I'll just do it on my own. And he was like, come on, like, this is what we need to do. And I just was kind of like, you know, I, we're friends. Let's, let's build something together. Our visions though, were very different in that, like the way that he builds, the way I build, the way we, the way we operate is different. And so, you know, when it came to people and how like hiring happens and like, you know, he had a lot of the wisdom that I was lacking. I just had the, the energy, but then somewhere along the way, like, I think we began to, to deviate on what we wanted. And so, you know, his, his kids are old and mine are young and he wants to be, he wants a really slower pace of life. And I wanted to help as many people as possible. I'm not saying that he doesn't want to help people. I just, I, my, my pace is way different. I think that mm-hmm. the way that actually I would uh, attribute how Chris sort of like navigated the last year um, is kind of more in line with Chris's personality, which is let's just wait and watch and kind of see what happens. And, you know, like we still have conversations and we were able to hang on to our friendship and our relationship, which was the most important part to me. I care about his kids. He cares about mine. Um, but we handle it differently and I'm more of like, I'm going to tackle it and go aggressive and, you know, whatever they need, I'm going to send it to them and I'll hire a team if I need to, or Chris tends to be a little bit more slower. Let's observe, let's just watch what happens. Um, and if I need to do something or say something, you know, I will. And it's exactly how our relationship has always been. Um, that's probably the Mm -hmm. most accurate and the most honest version you're going to get out of me on that matter. Cool. Great. I think that says a lot about you. I think it really speaks volumes to like, I've known you for, you know, close to four years at this point in time. And I can say that the fact that we've never discussed this is really what says a lot about you and that you're always forward thinking and moving the ship forward. Um, it doesn't matter if you have to take on more of the weight. It doesn't matter if you have to take on more of the volume or the stress or even the fees. It's like, I just see you just continually um, moving forward. And I think a lot of people see that. And I think that's why you've earned respect. You've earned trust. Like we're willing to go the mile for you because you do that for people continuously. Yep. And that brings me, um, that brings me to the next question. You mentioned a lot about your family. We see you post about Lindsay and Kate and Harrison often and, and to watch you change and mature. And it wasn't, it wasn't overnight just for the record. It wasn't, Oh my God, I lost my businesses and never gave them away. It's more accurate. Or it wasn't, Oh my God, the FTC is charged. That's not what created the change. I've watched you mature over time. Um, but how did this affect your family? And you know, your own brother, Peyton Welch was named and caught up in this. How did it affect the family side of things? Um, yeah, a lot. And it's ridiculous that Peyton was left in there. I think it's ridiculous that Ashton was, was left in there. Um, you know, me being in there is, you know, justified. (laughs) Like we built things really fast. Um, I had a gnarly sales team. I didn't know how to train on what to say and what to not say. Like, so when, when you look at my, my piece of everything, I'm like, okay, well, there are really good pieces that we, we didn't understand. And I'm in many ways, I'm grateful that this happened now with the FTC while we were small rather than later when we're big, because I need to know the rules just like anybody else. 
rule number one, you know, don't yep. fight the government. Rule number two, see rule number one. Um, so like I, unless you know what they want, you can't stay inside of them. But when they started, you know, asking other people, like putting other people in, I think that that's, you know, I think that's silly. And I think that part, partially, they probably know that it's, it's a little bit that way as well. Um, and if, when I'll, I'll start with this story, Bijal, like when I, when I was talking about giving the companies away, um, the first thing my wife said is good. She, she wasn't like, well, how do we pay for things? She wasn't like, well, have you worked out other income streams? You know, like she, she just was like, good. Been waiting on this. She knew like, she, she knew that there were things that I was sacrificing at home to grow things as quickly and as I was at, at work. And so when the FTC thing happened in, in, in September, when they were shutting down the old companies, I was very much so like, I'm about to scale everything. Like I, w I went to a conference with Grant Cardone and I was like, ah, if Grant can do it. Look, he, this is Grant, he's short. He doesn't even know. He's like five, eight. Like I'm going to tackle everything. Cause he's short. Yeah. <laughs> he's five, eight. I can do anything. You know, like Cardone walks into a room. And he's like this tiny little man. And he's like a force of nature. It's like, oh my God, like this doesn't make sense. Um, and so I came home. I was like, I'm going to scale everything. Then this happens. And everything happens for a reason and everything happens for us. The hardest part is in the middle of everything. So like when I, when I signed away the old companies, we had been trying to have a baby um, for six or seven mm -hmm. months. When I signed away the companies that day, my wife found out that she was pregnant with our second. Um, he was a son. He was born in February. So right in the middle of, of all of this, we have a kid. And, you know, it's like, that's insane. Like it, it was like even t talking about it now, I'm like, yo, this last year has been insane. Like what the literal hell happened? Um, and it was really hard for, I think it was really hard for my wife just to keep me sort of like grounded. And like, I'll, I'll give you a, a quick story on this. And this'll, this'll just put it into perspective. She goes out on, yep. she goes on a vacation. I decided I don't want to go. I don't have time. This is in, um, this is actually not that long ago. This is like six months ago. So don't, don't judge me for this. She goes on vacation. I don't go. I don't have time. I'm like, oh, it's too much stress. Keep in mind, like every waking moment of margin is filled in by an attorney for 14 months. Every buffer I have on my calendar, I could get a call. There were moments when I was in the middle of an arena call. I have to go take a call, come and finish. I mean, like, because if I don't get something on time, like we're pushing back the investigation. It's like, for me, this is like a big deal. I have to, I have to figure out all of the rules. I think we're like six or 700 hours in billable, billable hours. Y'all do your own math on that and figure that out. And I tell Lindsay, I just can't go on vacation. You guys go take the kids, have fun. While she's on vacation, I like have this moment of freak out fear. And I'm like, I'm, what if everything gets shut down? Like I'm going to sell the house. So I have a realtor come over, appraise the house, like, and then like somebody in town, I'm like, come look at the house. Like, and I'm like literally paying a realtor to come clean the house while my wife is gone. I'm like, I'm having such a mental, like we have to do something different. I remember texting Gabriel and I was like, somebody wants, somebody wants to buy our house. Hooray. And she said, do not sell your house. Don't do it. It was like, you don't need any more instability. Your wife doesn't need that. And Gabrielle's like the voice of reason. She's like, nope, you're not selling your house. 
And so there were these moments when it was like, it was so intense that the only way out I could sort of see was like, well, I need to, I need to get some serious capital back in the, in the door here because there's, there's stuff that is like, and, and this is just maybe TMI, like I'm not trying to like share a drama story, but when you look at the amount of money it takes to shut down a business, I'm paying for everything. It's like, I've got staff that I'm paying for that don't even work for TWC. Like they're shutting down little companies and there's just a drip out of the company. And at the end of the day, I'm like, well, this runway ends in 12 months. And if the investigation is still going on 12 months from now, you know, I need something, something to kind of keep pace with it. So that's just a small story. Like how did it affect my family? Quite a lot. Um, but my wife is like a Titan. And so she's good. She's basically like, yeah, do whatever you need to do, but don't make it out of fear. Calm down. I think that's absolutely incredible. And I, I've never heard uh, the extent of that story. And I think it's important to know that you were at the mental state where you sent her on vacation and you're trying to sell the house. And thank God that you have somebody like Gabrielle, your chief of staff, who's had your back through and through mm -hmm. to be like, hey, you can't let, because like the fear and the anxiety consistently playing a toll that you're trying to sell your house while your wife is gone. And I remember one other story that you told me about Lindsay, which I think is a really a testament to who Lindsay is, is she, you were freaking out one day and you're like, well, what if we have to get rid of the house? And she's like, cool. Well, we're just moving to an apartment. Didn't care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just looked at her like, what? And she was like, yeah, we'll just, just move into an apartment. Like, We've got one kid who's four and where you're going to have a baby, like it's not a big deal. And when you said that, I was immediately like, this is the difference between uh, a couple that ends up 50, 60, 70 years married because their rider dies and they're in it for all the different seasons, yep. not just for the good times and piecing out in the bad. And that's one of my favorite stories about Lindsay is that this is the difference maker. I think that whether you're the husband or the wife, it doesn't matter what role you're playing. It's who really has your back when you're, you know, when you're up against the wall, Yeah. which then takes me to the question, you know, what have you, I just love that. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for being so open. You know, what do you, what did you learn about people through what you've gone through for the last 14 plus months, good and bad? Um, well, what I learned about, my team and my crew is that you know the the fear that we all have of like well are people around me i was i was actually talking with a private client um a week ago and he was mentioning like i don't know if people want to be around me because of my money or because of my success or because they like me and i was able to put that to bed for a large portion of it where it's like my team actually wants to be here because they believe in us and what we can do together in the mission and all of the the people that we help if you one of the things we had to substantiate is um, I said something goofy in an ad one time in like 2019. I was like, we have like half a billion dollars in client revenue, which the way I sort of substantiated that in my head was like, if you take all of the case studies, add them all together, and then you account for the fact that we probably collect like one fifth of, you know, the wins from a group. You know how this is, Beach. You're like, not everyone's sharing their wins. Like not everyone's talking about some people just win and, and they just kind of are busy. So they go about their day. I was like, we could probably 
come up with 200 million bucks and then you, you multiply that by five, it's, mm -hmm. it's 1.2 billion uh, or 1 billion. And so if I cut that number in half, it's probably 500 million. This is how substantiation works for me back in the day. What's true, cut it in half, share that. Um, that's not how substantiation works for me now. It's very different. We had to prove that. And I think the number we got to was like 220 million or roughly around like this, <laughs> the same amount of money that I was thinking. When you add up all of the different lives that were actually positively impacted, it's easy to look at like, well, wow, the company did good things. But at the same time, um, it's easy to also pick out of that people who uh, weren't able to get over the hump. They weren't able to get through the the, the chasm. They weren't able to get over that, that mountain of, mm. of like getting momentum. So what I learned about clients is that in most cases, like most times people greatly underestimate the amount of work it takes to be successful in anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. It could be losing weight, getting in shape. It could be building a business, finding a spouse. Like mm -hmm. most people underestimate yeah. how much work it is and how diligent you have to be. And when that is now factored into the equation, it's like we have a responsibility on my end now to make sure we level set and reset people's expectations. And I do that all over the place now. Like, that's when I first started sharing like mm -hmm. how hard it is for me. Like that's when yeah, I remember one, one time we were talking about group posts and I was like, look at how much shit I I'm doing. Like, it's really difficult. Like I do it every single day and I've noticed you've started doing yep. this as well. Like I see all of us kind of like being honest. It's a crazy idea. Like just be honest about the work that is, is required. And yeah. I learned a lot of that going through this, through this process. You know, I think uh, one of the one of the biggest lessons I learned watching you go through it, and you remember this, like I was having a moment and I just wanted to complain about my life. And, you know, I knew what was going on with you, but I still want to complain about my life. And I was like, well, you know, Taylor must be nice because like you're just in a different stratosphere. And uh, by the way, don't ask Taylor. Don't say that to Taylor unless you want to be coached. <laughs> Um, and you, you, you responded in, in a really, really comprehensive way of what does must be nice and a different stratosphere actually look like. And I screenshotted that. And I remember re-listening to those voice notes again, because I had decided for myself that it had to be easier for you. Cause that's why it was so hard for me. And when I broke that false dichotomy that you're playing at a whole different level and you are also experiencing challenges at a whole different level. I started to really show up as who I was meant to be and understanding that, that all of that was there. The resistance was there and it was all normal. Like nothing, nothing was given to me that isn't just par for the course of when you're going through um, different levels and different scale. And I think that that's one of the biggest learning lessons that we've been able to observe when you've been honest You've invited us all to all of us, to be honest. Yep. That's great. So, you know, you kind of touched on this and maybe this is just a quick answer. And I've been curious about this. Would you say, honestly, sales mentor was a good product? I think it was when we started. And I think that good and bad are largely determined by the expectations that are set coming in. So even now, like when we're, mm. we're, we're running the wealthy consultant firm now, and it's one of three or four inside of our group of companies. And one of the biggest things that we harp over and over again 
is like make sure people know like this is a long game and it takes time you know there's no like there's no like overnight home run successes and with with sales mentor part of the problem with that organization was the marketing up front created such an extreme expectation that whether the product was good or bad like a lot of people would experience it in, and they were expecting one level of work when really what's ex ex required is, is another level and they weren't able to get over the hump. And so by, when you look at traffic and funnels, our percentage of completion for, of client and our percentage of case study per client was much higher. With sales mentor, you know, the floodgates were pretty much open to anybody who wants to learn how to do, you know, uh, like big fat commission checks was one of the big things inside of the sales copy. And it was like, mm -hmm. all you need is a phone and a notebook. Well, you know, okay. Like plenty of people have a phone and a notebook and they're not ultra successful. So obviously that's not all you need. Um, in fact, one of the pieces in the, in the things that in the order, which the order was easy for, like, I was like, sure, I'll, I'll sign that. Like, I don't want to lie to people. It's an easy decision. But one of the big things that they took, they took issue with, and honestly, in hindsight, it makes a lot of sense that they did, is not misrepresenting the amount of work or effort it will take to experience. That was a big piece of sales mentor, is it looked really easy on the, on the sales side. Mm. But then when you got in, was the product good? Yeah. Was the training good? Obviously. I mean, most other people are just clones of what we built for sales mentor. Let's be freaking honest about it. Like when you look moral authority yep. and like uh, forced delays, like all of them are the same being in pocket. How often do we see that now? It's like it came from the same curriculum, but the amount of effort that was required was not accurate in how the marketing copy actually portrayed it. So it's a difficult question to answer. I believe in that material. I really think reflex and some of those, yeah. some of those pieces of training, I mean, they were incredible, like still incredible, but if the expectations are mis misset on the front, it doesn't matter how good the product is. Well, I appreciate that. That's a great answer uh, to a very difficult question. And it was intentionally difficult. Um, that's why I saved it a little bit. Um, wouldn't you say, you know, as you're talking about this, when I hear about like, oh, it was made to sound easy. It was made to be like, grab your phone and a notebook. I still see that. I mean, that was very much on trend for 2021, 2022, even 2023 marketing, like three easy secrets to do this. Like, I mean, would you say that that was fairly common for what competitors were doing during that time? Yeah, I think it's still, it's still the way that most people are running advertising today i think that the the partially the reason that the ftc has taken special interest in this industry is because the industry norms are non-compliant like it's not the outliers that are not compliant it's the it's the people in the middle like everyone is pretty much non-compliant it's funny like i last week you know i was like all over the facebook people were like oh this dude like trash this whatever and you go and you look at their profiles mm -hmm. it's like bro you're your banner image is not compliant. Like you're breaking three FTC rules. Like just in <laughs> this post is not compliance. Like people just have no idea. And yeah, sales mentor was very on par with 
what the norm was. In fact, yep. I'm actually gonna gonna go a step further. I think salesman throw was better than what most because at least our shit was mostly based in true and reality. There was an ad that there was an ad that, that we had to substantiate and it's it's Peyton. Peyton's going around. How much money did you make last last month? And Anthony's like, 20K. How much money did you make? And Jake's like, 28K. And they were like, prove this. Yep. We're like, okay. So we pulled, you know, gusto payments, payment stubs from those months. Well, guess what? Every single one of them made more than what they said on the ad. So let's say we were maybe even better than what most people, but here's the problem. Just because that's what they made doesn't mean that the consumer buying a $97 product will also make what Anthony Armini made. And that's where the yeah. issue came, where we learned a really important lesson. Just because it's true yeah. doesn't mean it's compliant. You have parameters to stay within, you know. And, and by the way, everything that happened with the FTC doesn't mean we're lying. It just, it literally means that, you know, we didn't have good enough expectations set on the front. And the way that claims were made isn't compliant moving forward. So. Yeah, hundred percent. And how many how many sales calls did you take? What, what was it that you ended up downloading to give them information? What was that number? Uh, it was it was it was a lot, more than half a million. Um, but we didn't actually, you know, we we got into a point where we were able to randomize certain things. It would have taken us about a decade um, to download them all, and so. Wow. And most of that data, you know, at, at this point isn't even recoverable. So like the, the thing that wow. was, the thing that was difficult was like, well, there's no staff, there's no staff to do that. So it, it would have been different if this happened two years ago, BJ, like, it would have been totally different because we would have had staff in the building or three years ago, rather, I'm sorry. You know, there have been operations team. There's 25 operations. People could have just kind of rolled through this. We had no staff and we had no nobody who could find any of this. Um, so we had to sort of like go back and forth on what do you actually want to see? We had no idea what they wanted. We just had a list of a 53 page, 54 page document, prove this, prove this, prove this, prove this. And um, we had to sort of go back and forth to find out what they, what do you actually want? Like, we don't know what you want, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That that's, I just think that's incredible. I think I remember you saying something to me like 700,000 sales calls. And I remember being like, I'm never going to tell him it must be nice. I'm, just, I'm going to refrain from saying that because to be able to build something that where you have 700,000 sales calls, you know, for the four years that sales mentor was, was a business. It's just, I think it's absolutely incredible. So let's get to some of the tactical stuff and then let's open it up to questions. Um, so what can we, what can we learn from this and what can we do to move forward and protect ourselves and our business, um, knowing what the FTC is now looking for. Yeah. So the, the first thing is knowing actually like where the rules sort of like outline in terms of compliance. Let's go through them real, really quickly. Just, you know, I'm not an attorney. We had a mate, we had amazing representation. I love the people that, that we got to work with. Um, I would have preferred to meet them under better circumstances, but they're great people. Um, so the first one is, is the average consumer outcome. And so this means that, you know, if you share a testimony or a case study, that's an outlier, then technically the, the FTC will deem that as 
uh, deceptive and misleading. And so if you kind of, if you stack testimonials or if you like um, share stories that are not normal, then that's out of compliance. So you have to make sure that anything you do share, you have a system to deem that that is within the mean or the average of a normal consumer experiencing that result. And this is why when you look at like the wealthy consultant, for example, very, very rarely do we share testimonials because while we yep. do, we do have systems in the background. You've, you've seen all of these, like we have quarterly tracking, we track revenue, we track MRR, we track all these things for our entire book of business. The, the experience taught me this rule of that. Just the, is it worth it rule? Like if I have to prove this later, was the testimonial worth it? Think about that. Ooh. Like, if I have to go dig up files to prove this person is actually a real citizen of a country somewhere and that they actually made this money, is it worth the amount of money and costs I'm going to have to associate with proving it? In most cases, when I run that through that question, it's like, no, I'm not going to get that much more lift from a testimonial, which is why you've seen us drastically pull down the, the testimonials. Another thing would, that, that kind of like dovetails into is, is a term called net impression. Net impression would be, what's the, it's not the, the words you're saying that matter. Mm. It's the impression you're leaving with the audience. And this is one where like, we just have to live with it. Like we, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't really matter, but we are held responsible to a certain degree for the impression of our audience. And so what the FTC expects of us as business owners is to not try to play around with that impression and make that impression. Be, they, they don't want us basically being like, well, I didn't say anything unfactual. It's like, no, you just left the impression of something unfactual. You'll get in trouble for that too. Um, and that impression applies mostly, you know, there's the big three earnings claims, lifestyle and performance lifestyle would be, you know, that, that one of the big ads that Peyton did, he's in a Lamborghini. Well, that's a, that's a, it could be an implied claim of a lifestyle claim or in front of a big house. You notice you have you don't see many ads of me in my house or like my stuff because I don't want anybody being like, oh, well, if I buy the memo, then I'm going to have a big house. First of all, how stupid do you have to be yeah. to make that assumption? I get it. Like, but this is the rule. <laughs> like, and, and honestly, if somebody's like, oh, I would like a big house, I'm going to buy the memo. I probably don't want them as a client anyways. I, I think that that might be. So this is where you see me make these posts that I'll say like, if you need, if you buy because of a testimonial, you're not the client that we want anyways. That's me basically. Yeah. Like I am, let's, let's, I'm talking about it straight to the market. Yeah. I, I love that change. And I love that change that you've had. It's also made it really difficult from the other side to even leave a testimonial. I'm like, oh, hey, hi, this seemed pretty good. I think things grew a little. So, you know, that leads, that leads me to a really good question that a lot of people have been asking. If we do want to leave someone a testimonial, which I mean, I want the person that I'm leaving a testimonial, it's going to be honest. It's going to be factual, but I want them to be able to use it. What are the things that we have? Should we leave out any numbers? Like if I feel like a coach out, even outside of you, if I feel like a coach or a mastermind or a program has helped me grow my business and maybe scale my business? Do I just leave all numbers out to keep it safe? What would you advise? I think, I think in the more broad you can make it. And I think that depends. It, part of this measle depends on how like obsessed the company is around these things. Like 
if if you put a number in something with ours, we're probably going to like use it internally, but sort of like not make it a big deal. Versus some of the people that you probably work with, they don't care, so they'll just use whatever. For for me, the 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 line in the middle is like, is it is it true and is it or is there any misrepresentation at all? And we we have to be careful about like, can we substantiate whether it's true or false? So if you're like, look, when I came in, my business was doing X. Now it's doing X. That's okay mm-hmm. because it's going to be very easy for us okay. to substantiate that. But if you start going into like, you know, in within ten days, I had like X Y Z, and it's like, well. You never posted any wins along the way, so we can't track that journey. Like you post wins all the time, so it's very easy for us to go like, boop, boop, boop. Yep, here's the journey. Like, look at all of her posts; it's trending upwards every single month. We we can prove that in the event that we need to, but we also keep data. Like everything, everything that anybody like shares on a private call is stored in data. But the safest thing is like keeping them to a minimum and making sure that it's included on all of your testimonial page. This may not, this is not indicative of the average. These are outliers. So just come right out and say that like, these are outliers. Yeah. Got it. To make it more, yeah. To make it more conceivable. So one more, one more kind of tactical point on that. So is this everything we're talking about? Is it related to the FTC and being compliant? Is it when you're using paid advertising or does this apply to our organic marketing posts too? Well, prior to this, I thought that it only applies to paid, Um, but they had a list, lists of organic posts that I had made going all the way back to 2019. And they had transcribed emails. And so essentially we just had to, uh, they wanted me to prove all of it. So I think it actually applies to both. And I think that the reason that's, that is occurring is net impression. You can get somebody to follow you through an ad and then post a bunch of stuff organically and it's still going to hit your net impression rule, right? Like you can't tell the difference in most cases. So I think it applies to both. Um, and people should just know what the kind of what the rules are, which Bijal, this gives like not to make a plug here, but like this gives like chamber a whole new level of importance because like when we go in and we're, we're just billing advertising, most of the times we're like pulling shit out of people's copy that I'm like, yo, this is going to find you like pull this out. And people are like, what that they have no yeah. idea. Cause most people are like, I'm just telling the truth. It's violating compliance somewhere. Yeah. hundred percent. Let's hit a couple more questions. And then guys, if you have uh, questions in the comments, I have a couple that I've tagged. So I'm going to go back and find those that were really specific, but let's, let's wrap up here and I'll uh, open up to your questions. Um, so obviously you've got an even hand on what's happening here and you're guiding us through of like what to look forward to. I had no idea about the organic posting, but it makes sense from the net impression point of view. So you know, tell us, kind of walk us through just like, you know, put it into, you know, a summary for your own self. What's the good that came from this, this 14 month investigation, the big old finds after your team has gone through so much to be able to produce all the results for this. What's the good that came from this business wise, mentality wise, emotionally, spiritually? I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Um, I'll just go through a couple of, of quick things and you can Take me deeper if you want me to go there. Um, from a business standpoint, I think it has allowed us to legitimize ourselves in a way that's very unique and very rare. 
Um, at first, when I was first learning these things, going through October, November, December is when it really started hitting me, like pull every, like make sure everything's compliant. I was like, well, how do you, how do you even grow a business if you're not allowed to talk about how people feel about the product? And ultimately what, what I learned is it's a feel thing. So like the things that are compliant, they feel compliant things that are not, they don't feel like this. It's, it's a fingertip feel type of situation. It's given us the ability to build something that I think is going to be very durable that will last a really long time and will be very different than how most people in our space operate. Um, it's made us very resilient. Part of the codex, like the, the first thing I got to do was test the codex, which most people here probably don't know what the codex is, but you know what it is. Um, and it's, it works. Like the business is properly diversified across many different types of offerings. Um, it made our team a lot sharper, a lot smarter, um, and it also gave us, a, you know, when you get down, when you go down in a playoff series, you build real trust. And so that was our original founders team here is like, you know, our first real powwow. I remember when they put the Christmas tree up in downtown Franklin, which is just a big deal here in Franklin. Everybody wants to go see the Christmas tree lighting. Gabriel actually texted me and Dane a picture this year, like two weeks ago. Because there was an identical picture a year ago when Dane and Gabe's are sitting in the office at like 1030 at night while everyone else is at a Christmas party because we have to find and meet a deadline. So we're having to pull things off an old server to meet a deadline. It's just like, oh, at that point, we realized like we're not going to get Thanksgiving. We're not going to get Christmas. Like we're just skipping these holidays so that we can answer this investigation. You build a new level of camaraderie when you go through that. Spiritually, I learned how to trust God, like legitimately. You know, God doesn't honor your need. God honors your faith. Like there's a difference. And so some people get miracles because they have faith, even though some other people need it worse, but they don't have the faith for it. You don't get to build faith unless you're tested. And so my intellect had always carried me. It had always taken care of me. The things that I knew how to do had always worked until they didn't. There's no intellect to get me out of this experience. So I had to learn how to trust God. I had to learn how to trust my wife for the first time. Like everything close to me was tested. And because of that, it was, it was strengthened. And then now on the other side of it, just going back through it and realizing like, yo, this is, this, this was something that I was going to have to learn regardless. Um, and it's removed the fear now because I've learned it. I can stay inside of the rules as a big company. Can you imagine going through this as a $500 million a year company? Like it's just, it would be even even worse. And so I don't think that it's one of those things like you can never escape risk. In fact, the biggest risk is hiding. Bar none, that's the biggest risk you have. So wanting to like live uh, on 100 acres with, with, you know, off the grid is fine, but you're not yep. going to be who you are called to be at the end of the day. And so I, I was I was tested and I was proven worthy of of living. I'm not ready to die. Oh, I love that. I love that. I remember when you told me that it was an option for you to like go hide in Montana yeah. in a cabin. And I, <laughs> I remember thinking that I wasn't fully aware of how hard it was because that was an option that you were dreaming up yeah. fairly regularly. And, uh, and it hadn't occurred to me because everything that I thought I had made an image of, of who you were, didn't fit with that. And then I realized that we can't have you go out to Montana. Yeah. Um, cause a lot of us still need your help. And so we need you to survive. So 
Um, I'm going to wrap up with two more questions here. And then I've got a couple, uh, Khan, Brayden, Alani, another one from Khan. So guys keep going in the comments. I've got everything pulled up here. So this, this one's going to be quick and I've got just a couple more here. Is this the hardest thing you've ever been through? Yeah. Pure, in your bar life? none. Not even close. Yeah. Like take all of the things prior, stack them together. So like, let's say that, let's say that the love of my life cheats on me with my uncle, who's my pastor and my family goes bankrupt and I'm paying for food for my mom and I'm, uh, and I'm poor all at the same time, combine them all into the same season. And then this was harder than all of that combined. Not even close. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I think you covered that yeah. one. Uh, cool. <laughs> we're cool. Lindsay's cool. Nothing's happening here. Um, we're, we're all good soldiers. Um, what do you second to last question? What do you want people to, to remember about this? Oh, that's an incredible question because I haven't thought about it. Um, yeah, I went first. Nothing else to be afraid of. It's probably the simplest way to put it. All right. What message do you want to send to your kids? About this? Yep. If they were to go back, they're going to see this. Maybe they're going to learn about it. Probably going to be entrepreneurs. What message would you want Kate and Harrison to get from this? Oh, the hard things strengthen us. They're good for us. They train us. If we avoid the hard things, I think we just get weak. So as much as possible, can we adapt the way we view hard things in difficult seasons? If, as much as possible, can we adapt and reframe them to be training rather than failure? I was at church in the middle of this and they stopped the service and one of the pastors called me up and they said, "This you, they don't even know what's happening. Like this is them being prophetic. And she was like, you cannot see this as failure. You're being trained for an assignment. So I was like, well, I think I've been mm. looking at failure my, my whole life the wrong way. I think that maybe failure is training. Maybe they're, maybe they're assignments. Mm. Think about going through boot camp. They're trying to get you to fail out. They're trying to get you to quit because they don't want to be stuck on a mission with you. The only chance they have coming back to see their kids is if you actually do the hard thing. So this is like training for us now. There's no way I'm going to tap out, even if I feel like it. Can't do it. Like the training is there because my assignment is so important. So people want to moan mm. and complain about how hard life is. Well, get a smaller assignment, give yours back, trade it in, get something smaller, and then your life will probably get easier. If not, just be quiet, go through it. That's amazing. Amazing. All right. Let me hit these questions up. Okay. So, uh, Khan asked a tactical question earlier on. I thought everything was under the trust companies that you had to make it safer. This is in reference to when you're talking about your house. Yeah. Everything is under trust, including businesses. The government sets up trust. Therefore the government can sometimes unwind them. So, I mean, Ooh. yeah, it takes them a little bit longer, but you know, the, the key with, with trust setup. And, and yeah, I, I can't get into too many, too much detail about that, especially on a public okay. stream, but we were protected, but
But at the same time, if if the government feels like you've done something that they don't like, then no no government structure is going to keep them from going through that. So the best defense yeah. against a, a regulatory agency is to find out what they want and cooperate with them and do it and honor them through the process. Like it's not to be like, well, <laughs> I have stuff in a trust and they'll be like, oh, well, we know who set that trust up. So we're just going to go to that state, <laughs> commandeer the government and we'll undo it ourselves. That's not the, that's not the way you play it, you know? Got it. Received. Yep. Okay. Brayden uh, asked this question. Um, you said just because it's true doesn't mean it's compliant. So can you expand on that? And then how can we make sure our marketing is within parameters? Because that's a lot of gray. Yeah. So the, just because it's true doesn't mean it's compliant. The, the FCC does not like earnings claims at all. So any claim or implied claim about how much money someone can make, they don't really like that. Um, and if, if you can prove it, and you have a systematic way to prove it. Like you've got um, routine fact checking that happens, or like they they want to see they want to see systems that show you're taking their regulation seriously. So part of this is about mm. part of this is about like what's the actual rule, but then part of it is like what are you doing to honor the rule, right? So for example, yeah. right now, Braden, like we we secret shop our sales teams, so. We're like knee deep in building this out now because we're hiring salespeople. Every salesperson signs a compliance agreement. Compliance agreement. They know exactly what they have to stay away from, and they sign it. They're like, "Hey, I acknowledge to take responsibility for this." Then we secret shop them and we call them. We pretend that we're a consumer. We try to get them to break <laughs> compliance, and if we can, well, they get fired. That's the bottom line. So, like, we can now turn around and say, "Look, we're we're regulating. We're trying to regulate ourselves so that so you don't have to worry about us." Um, same is true in your claims. So like, what is the process for like approving marketing materials? So like right now we have a little bit of a, uh, like a small four point checklist for marketing materials. We don't publish it unless Dane sees and approves it. So you want to stay away from like all earnings claims unless they're easily and effortlessly substantiated. And that would be an example of like, we have an ad running right now where like every quarter we run a case study, like a, a sampling, so to speak. And so we have a little graph that shows like before they became a client and after what's well, coming from like, we can literally give them, we can give the, the survey and it's got the dates that are, that it was done at the bottom. So it's very clear. And it also states like, this is just a, a sample of one quarter. It doesn't mean that you're going to experience the same thing. I think what they want to see is like, are you trying to circumvent the regulation or are you doing everything you can to uphold the regulation. And that's as simple as you can make it. I love that. That's a great guideline. And I think what I hear through all of that is that like, it's actually going to enhance the, your marketing efficacy because you're being super transparent on what exactly works. Cause the market from my impression is just fed up with the like 2021, 2022 bogus, give us 10,000. It's going to be so easy. The market's like eye rolling it. And to be able to actually prove up that you've done something well and to know that we still can, I think is is really a really amazing knowing that we just need to have some self-regulated systems. Like, look, we, we understand what needs to happen here. We're already putting this in place. So we're being good stewards of um, what it is that we're putting out to totally. the market. Um, Lonnie asked, Lonnie Dickinson asked, you mentioned how big it was that there was an employee who wasn't actually an employee who was creating drama in the background. Oh, yeah. 
Did that situation end up being a part of the problem? And did you need it? Uh, did you need to settle for it? Did you need, uh, need something for settlement? So, um, I think that might've been what kicked it off is there was somebody in sales mentor or part of what kicked it off, not the entire thing, but part of what, what maybe started it is he was selling, like he would go into sales mentor groups and he would say, Hey, I've got a guaranteed job for you. It's 5k. They would pay 5k and he'd be like, here's the job. Go back and sell other people. This 5k is like an MLM inside of one of our client groups. We found out about it, banned him, but it was a constant now like thing of, of Kathy actually, who runs support trying to like flag people who had been infiltrated by this guy. I know that we had to, um, we had to prove this to an attorney general in Washington state, uh, because somebody bought from salesman or then they brought from him and then they complained to the attorney general about salesman or, but it wasn't us. It was a different person. So that's like legitimate identity fraud on this guy's part. And so we, we were able yep. to successfully prove with the attorney general that this guy wasn't us. And we had taken measures to remove him and protect our client base. Um, but once that happens, then you're, you're like on the radar and they wanted to know who this guy was. And that was one of the things in the first, the first letter is like, they want to know who is this guy? We're like, this guy is not us. <laughs> He's very different. So even the first couple of weeks, I was like, this is going to go away. Like, this seems mm -hmm. really bad, but once we prove that we're not him, it's going to go away. But the problem was there was too much stuff inside of sales mentor already just from like, you know, extremely aggressive ads and things like that, um, that it, it didn't go away. And so we successfully did prove that Lonnie. In fact, um, we're still working on sending some of that into them because like, we're not, we're not mm -hmm. antagonistic with the FTC, like at all, you know, I think mm -hmm. I'm a little upset with whoever that person is that wrote the press release. Um, I think that's like a pop-up book for kids, but for like the most part, like <laughs> no adversary, like I, I realize like they, this, this organization's needed. They do good work. I think we just got swept up in a big effort to, to stomp out an issue in the industry. And so we're going to send them materials on this person because that's who really needs to be pulled out of the game. Like the way that they run is bad. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Like that person wasn't named and you know, is there going to be any retribution for this person? Do we just not know? We don't know yet. Um, if anything, okay. like it's not going to be from us. Like we're not going to go public and like, I'm kind of tired of like legal stuff. So I want to just like, whatever. Um, but we do have recordings and we do have like substantial evidence and we're working on putting that together and sending it over to them. Cause, um, if there's, anything we can do to help them remove this guy from the game, we'll do it. Love it. Love it. It's so it, it's mind boggling. Like when you had shared this before that there, the, that sales mentor had gotten so big that there was like, somebody could hide a pyramid scheme inside. underneath yeah. how, inside how fast you guys had scaled. Like 50, it's 55,000 uh, <laughs> students, paid students, um, inside of a group. So I was like, well, that's, that's a target market right there. You know, if you get in and he would just send new people, like we would ban him, then somebody else would buy it. We have no indication of when somebody buys the product, whether they're with him or not. So he would just have people buy and come back in. We just had to turn the group off basically. Yep. Yep. Okay. Khan has a couple of questions. They're kind of all related to like before and after who you were. Um, so uh, I'm going to kind of summarize a couple of these and let you 
go after them. So what would what would 2023 Taylor say to 2019 Taylor with what you know now? So slow down. Yeah, slow down. Like make sure there's a lot like make sure you have the right people on your team. Um, I think a good portion of some of this was like we had people on our team who were just in, like we didn't know how to, we didn't know how to incentivize them. And so they were yeah, they were paid to grow fast. They weren't they weren't paid to to grow the right way. Um, you don't, you don't have any way of knowing that. Like, that's what I was saying in that post. Like some things you learn from a book, but sometimes you can't, like, I, I don't think I would have learned it the, any other way. So make sure your team is good. Like the philosophy of a team is really important. It's like, what is a team thinking about all of the time? Like we're thinking about clients, but I don't think the salesman Thor was in, infested with this philosophy of client care. I think that they were more like, how do we hit numbers and. Uh, break records and so if I could go back to 2019 I'd just be like look dude like just slow down it's better to hit it's better to hit something with certainty but do it slower than to risk whether you even hit the target because you're trying to go fast so it's a, it's this trade-off between expediency and certainty and so the way our business runs now is like expediency is not in the it's not in the cards like we'll go slow and we'll, yeah. we'll plateau as long as we need to to get it right I would also say like there's a lot of utility in someone not knowing how successful or unsuccessful you are. Like in the name of building a brand, I think that I was very much just like in your face and loud. But now it's like, you know, I don't like there, there's nothing. Um, there's nothing that benefits me from someone else thinking that I have money. In fact, no. I get way more utility by someone else thinking I'm poor. Just being honest, let's flip this around. Like, I actually get more utility from someone not knowing than I do from someone knowing. And so this is an interesting thing of like, you can tell when kids are coming up in the industry because they're like, yo, just bought my whole team Rolexes and it's like in the Bucati. And it's like, bro, you know, you're a magnet for not good things. So it's way better for people, the closer they get to you, the, like, the more they're like, oh, wow. Like one of my friends... One of my friends who will not be named, I found out how much money he was. I was like, holy cow, dude, like you're like legit rich. He's like, I don't want anybody to know. You would never know from, from the internet. You know he's successful, but you don't know how successful. And so there's <laughs> that 2019 version of me was just like dumb. You know, the, the, the nuts and bolts of me was like fame, you know, hoorah. And now it's like, no, I want to I wanna attract people for the right reasons. I hope that answers the question. That was great. Fantastic. Uh, what's your view? I guess, I don't know if we need to hit this or not, or I feel like we did pretty accurately, but maybe just a quick, what's your view on scaling pace at that time? We're talking about, uh, you know, in the, in the heat of it all, 2021. On scaling pace? Yeah. Um, do they mean like how fast we were scaling? Yeah. Oh, I was like, the pace at which you were not scaling. fast enough. The time was like, Let's go faster. Like I can, I think my goals for like, you know, the, the end of that season before I started burning out, I was like, I want a million dollars a month in personal income, which means for me to get that, Chris also needs it. Cause we're 50, 50. That's $24 million a year in profit post payroll, post taxes, post everything. So I was like, you know, let's, let's get to $24 million of profit as fast as we can. If it happens next month, great. And when I was writing, it was like 700, 800 grand a month in profit. So you're talking like a 3X in a month. I was out of like, 
I was batshit crazy. Like, let's just go as fast as we can. Not realizing that the half-life of your business is how long it takes you to get there. So we would have done it in a month and died in a month. You know, so is my my view was all messed up. Yeah, I remember I remember one of your favorite phrases used to be like, I don't wait for anyone. I don't wait on anybody. I don't wait for everyone. I haven't heard you say that in a long time. No. <clears throat> Not anymore. <clears throat> so uh, I'm going to kind of wrap these two up together. Okay. Uh, I think that we're going to kind of close on these two. Maybe I'll uh, add in one more just to put a bow in everything. Uh, this is still from Khan going through this. Who do you say you've become now? And then um, how is this going to help the next version of you? I think we can kind of tie that together. Yeah. Um, I just, I want who I've become is a more aligned version of what my ideals were before. And we all want to be a good person. We all want to do good for the people. We want to help people. Um, but you know, like I can't help people outside of my house unless I'm good at my house. Like I can't be healthy here if I'm not healthy there. And so I've tried as best as I could to decrease the differential between my ideal, like who I say I want to be and who I actually am. And that, that happens in the moments. It happens in between. So it's, it's helped me slow down a little bit. It's helped me think about how do I celebrate good moments, even when I'm surrounded by a lot of problems and setbacks and obstacles. Um, and then how does, how does this help me navigate in the future? You know, my staying power right now is, is ridiculous. So the, my ability to make good choices, even even in the midst of um, conflicting targets and incentives has gotten sharper. So now I know how to make good decisions when my emotions are telling me not to or telling me to do something different. I know how to take a step back and and really look at the, the third, fourth, fifth order consequences. The FTC is like a sixth order consequence. It's not a first order. It's like down, way down the road. And so the, the long tail of the FTC started way back when and so I'm aware of that now, yeah. which is what's going to help me in the future as I build this next thing and, you know, write more books and, you know, speak on more stages and whatever it is that I do, um, I have a shortcut now that is just think about myself 10 years from now. What's the seventh and eighth order consequence? I didn't have that prior to this experience. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Well, wow. I think that that was incredibly like open and honest testimony from all the different stages that you went through, the investigation, what happened internally, what was portrayed externally, the different parties that were involved. How were you going through this from a um, perspective of <clears throat> mindset, emotions, and then scaling a whole other business? I think while you were, you know, grieving the loss of another business and then you had a baby coming. And so, Understanding that this game of entrepreneurship is worthwhile playing and to watch you come through this like a like a phoenix that's rising through the ashes. I think that your personal brand is stronger than ever. And I think a lot of people saw the real you start to come through this. Yeah. And I think it's absolutely a testament to your ability to stay in the game while leading other people to stay in it too. Yeah. And I think that that, that is really that is really high applause uh, to you and your team. You know, like I really want to shout out the team, like Gabriel Borman, uh, we had Dane Mormon, we had Mike Walker, we had Peyton Welch, and and you know I don't know if there's other names I'm, I'm leaving out who were key. Kathy Jones, yep. oh my God, Ashton, Lauren Ashton, 
um, his team, like they had to help as well. It's so, like Ashton, Ashton yep, Ashton had to pop in and because he was on it. So props to their team as well for for helping us dig dig through everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's incredible that it's you've taken on the face of this, just like you did the success, but that there was a whole team of people who endured a lot of those ups and downs and they were there for those countless nights and they pulled together stuff for the investigation tirelessly and just, you know, applauding them, whether they are unsung heroes and, and not everyone knew their name of, um, of what, who people believe in, yeah. um, of what you're building now. So, um, let's wrap it up with this. Let's wrap it up. Obviously we're here. Um, you know, we know that God obviously played a really big role in what you would call resetting you, repositioning you. So maybe you can tie us up with this, uh, tie us up, tie it up with this is, you know, how do you think that God influenced you? Cause you were obviously always somebody who believed in God, um, based on your past and your training, but how do you think your relationship changed and, and, and then what can we expect from Taylor Welch for the next 10 years? Like, What's, what is 2033 going to look like? What are we going to see from you? So let's wrap it up yeah, there. Well, I think, so obviously God was, I think God is the one who like, God sees your future. And so he can orchestrate things that don't make sense in the present. And we tend to get stuck in the present and we get wrapped up in the, well, this isn't what I, well, this isn't what I planned and this isn't what I wanted to happen. But I, I will never forget being um, on the bench press. I was supposed to be working out. This is the summer of 2022. This is before the FTC. And I'm complaining and I'm having a moment with God, which by the way, I think God sometimes loves because God wants relationship. And so I was letting him have it. God can handle your frustration. Um, and if you can't, well, whoever you're talking to is not God because God welcomes it. Those ways like, you know, you you didn't honor what I prayed for. Like, this is not even fun. You know, I'm giving away these companies and this is stupid. And this is what you asked me to do. And it's not working out. And I'm stressed about this now. And, and it feels like I've gone backwards. And I feel like God said, you, you are, you are re being reset. You are moving backwards. I have to reset you to reposition you. I have to take you back to essentially to where you kind of started doing you, you deviated. I'm resetting you back and repositioning you. And sometimes repositioning feels like regression. It feels like we're going backwards because that's mm -hmm. part of the plan. That's part of how we, we grow as humans. You know, if you get off of, off of course, even by one degree, a thousand miles later, you're like in a different planet. Like you're not even the same. And I think God had a lot to do with this at the very beginning. And God covered us through the, through the entire situation. And, um, more than anything else, like you get to, um, you get to have someone to talk to and you get to have a friend through the middle of it and miracles happen all of the time, but it's, it's correlated with your faith, not necessarily your need. And so when we raise the, the vibration, we raise the frequency, you're just raising your faith and your expectation and what you expect, it determines what you experience. You expect it first, you experience mm. it second. And so it's funny, the areas of my life when I experienced things that I did not want to experience, usually I can trace it back to fear, which fear is an expectation for something you do not wish to experience. So through expecting something, Oof. you experience that thing. And God taught me how to expect the right things. He taught me how, like, like, this is what faith is. Faith is expecting the thing you want to experience. And um, it was massive. I also think God brings people. You know, so like, I had a moment this weekend reading through everyone's stories in, in this group. And I've read people post this publicly. This one be like, 
you have n- people have no idea like how much it means to be able to read that, especially when like most of the internet is kind of like, oh, you know, f this and f that, and he's just the guru. Being able to read like people who actually experience positivity from from my work, that was unbelievable. And so I just literally read things like all weekend. I was basically like, oh, people people do love me. Like it's crazy. Like I'm, you know. I don't mean to sound cheesy, but I was like, this is the coolest experience to see people rally, you know? Um, and I know that, that God has brought those people around as well. Like God brought Gabriel into the organization. God brought Dane into the organization. So I don't think that it can ever be discounted. Um, like God has your back. That's the biggest cheat code. If you want a cheat code, it's simply realizing that you know, God's got your back. He's for you and your advancement. He's not... He's not trying to harm you or even teach you a lesson. Like God's got your back. And when you know that, like for sure, your life opens up in a new way. You don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to have anxiety about anything. You just get to experience because whatever you experience is going to be perfect. And I did not know that that level two years ago. You were there, Bijo. You can attest, like I didn't have any idea what this meant two years ago. And now I do. And it was all worth it. Boom. A hundred percent. It was just... It's a beautiful thing to watch evolve. It's inspiring. It's aspiring. Um, you bring people up. Your organization brings people up. And um, it's just beautiful to watch all those stories pour in about you and to know from the inside view that that's a fraction of what people actually feel about you and, and the benefit that, you know, Chamber, uh, TWC, all of those organizations have. It invites all of us, I think, to, to in your stories and what you've gone through, I've looked within myself to say, where could I have been better? Just because the FTC hasn't investigated me doesn't mean that there weren't moments of time in my entrepreneurial journey last week, last month, last quarter, last year where I couldn't have made it, you know, I could have made a better difference. So I think that's absolutely gorgeous and stunning. And uh, let's, let's just wrap it up here. I'd really want you to kind of Maybe it's just even a couple words, but I would love to want, I'd love to see or hear what is 2033 going to look like? What are we going to expect from you? I think I have, I think I have um, another run in teaching. Like my life can be divided. I think it's a like five different series. And this is just something that came to me on sabbatical last year, but I'm sort of running the same playbook. Um, my first one was, was really like the church and like really getting into the ministry and all of that. My second one was my first foray into business. And this is my third. I think that like what moves civilization forward is the proximity to information. There's so much, there's so much hate on people who teach and sell courses and things, but you you know, like there's no advancement without the, the distillation and transference of skill set perspective. Yeah, I was sitting at my kitchen table this weekend reading a book of, of John Rockefeller writing to his son, John Sr. writing to his son, John. And being able to read that book that I paid for, by the way, on Amazon, like I paid for information, crazy, is the coolest thing ever. Like I'm learning how a, like a, a magnificent business owner thinks. And so I feel like I have a responsibility over the next couple of years to take the things that I've been gifted with through experience and through study and just through my own brilliance that I feel like needs to be taught. And when 
you take away information from a civilization, the civilization becomes slaves. The slavery happens inside of the vacuum of information. Think about it. Every single time, this is what happens. If you want to take over a, yep. a, a country, throttle the information that can go into that country. It's happening today with mm-hmm. our kids. That's why I'm passionate about arena and getting into schools. And so this next run, like I'm going to build th- an education organization that helps people take responsibility and helps people create their own reality. And you know, the mission for TWC is to unlock and monetize human expertise. Unlock is an important word. It already exists. The expertise already exists. Like we're not biz op teaching people how to develop an expertise. You already have an expertise. We're helping unlock it and show you how to put it into nuts and bolts, real life form so that you can build a business around it. Um, and then after that, we'll see, I think this is my third run. Um, I will probably be completed by 2033. Um, I've sort of got seven to eight years in my mind for this. And 2033 is going to take me probably to a different industry. I don't know what that is at the moment. It could be political. I know that I'll write books. I know that I will, um, I'll be doing things that matter deeply to me, but it's so far away that who knows the tilt of the country at that point and where everyone is and where things are at and, you know, whether we're on Mars or not, I have no idea, but I can guarantee you a couple things. I'll be a good dad. I'll have a great relationship with my kids. Uh, Kate will love going on dates with me. I know people say like, oh, once they're teenagers, you know, yeah, nah, nah, I'm, I'm overcoming that. Like she's going to love talking with me. She's going to feel like she can say anything she needs to say to me. Harrison will be confident. He won't feel like he's got to do anything to earn his approval at home or away. My wife will feel like she can do whatever she feels passionate about doing. I will support her. The people close to me will always have a permission slip to speak into my life and tell me where I'm not being who I need to be with them. Um, I'll be serving God. I'll be at church. Like there are these things that I know, but everything else I've learned to live with the uncertainty. And that's a secret. I don't want to know. I just want to have fun. And if you know everything, it's not fun anymore. So might as well learn to love it. How's that answer? Oh, just beautiful. Like just exceeded all expectations. I, I, that's everything that we needed to hear and more. I just want to give you a round of applause. This was amazing. Uh, thank you for doing this. You could have hidden, you could have ran, you didn't. And uh, I think we all benefit from hearing your side of the story and your testimony and, uh, to getting a real insight to who Taylor Welsh actually is, not just the business side, but the father, the friend, the mentor, the, the husband, and all the different many roles that you play. So I think this was inspiring. I think that this was truth telling. I think this is going to lead our industry forward. And uh, I think we all grew from just being able to hear your, um, your point of view on this. So I just can speak for everyone where you say thank you so much for, for doing this and sharing who you are with the world. And don't ever go hide in Montana. We need you. I won't. I won't. Thanks, Beagle. Bye.